Let's pray. Lord, our God, we bless you and thank you for the gift of your word. Grant your servant both the humility and boldness necessary to preach it. Prepare all our hearts to be strengthened and changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you open your Bibles this morning to John, be in the fourth chapter. Last week, we saw Jesus coming to a well. week before that, John the Baptist has exalted Christ, and Jesus here is heading back, traveling around, and he comes to Samaria. And in Samaria, he comes to a well. And this isn't just any well, this is Jacob's well. This is one of the most important spots for the Samaritans, and Jesus is not only sitting in a well, he's also sitting at the well talking to a woman. Which to us doesn't sound very strange. Sounds pretty normal. But this woman wasn't like most of us, at least on the outside. You see, she'd been married five times, and the man that she was currently with wasn't even her husband. So she was a rather scandalous woman. She was also a woman, which was not a benefit. That was pretty lame back in those days. She was also a Samaritan, scandalous woman. Three strikes and you're out, right? This woman was bad news. And yet Jesus is sitting here conversing with her freely, just talking back and forth. And we saw how this woman and Jesus interacted. Jesus struck up a conversation with her and spoke of spiritual things. And while the woman missed the boat for the vast majority of the conversation, give me a drink, right? Well, uh, what are you talking to me for? Listen, if you knew who was offering you a drink, you would have asked him for a drink. Well, I mean, you don't have anything to draw water with. What are you talking about? Are you greater than Jacob? He's like, listen, that water is just going to satisfy for a, a, just a little short amount of time, but the water that I will give will satisfy for eternity. And we see this woman go, well, give me some of that. All of a sudden, she's believing a little bit more. Her doubt is softening. And then Jesus says, well, just bring your husband here. Well, I don't have a husband. No, you're right. You've been married five times, and the man that you're with now isn't your husband. Well, I see you're a prophet. Now answer for me the deepest, most profound spiritual question I have on earth. Where are we supposed to worship God? Over there or over here? And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. It's not about over here or over there. It's about worshiping in spirit. And in truth, that's what I care about. That's what God cares about. Then the woman ends going, I know one day Messiah is coming. Said in hope, I would say because of what we're about to read today. I know He's coming. And Jesus, 
shockingly, for the very first time, and one of the very few times he'll ever do it, reveals himself as, yeah, I'm, I'm the Messiah. To a scandalous Samaritan woman. Now, this is not, this whole spirit worship and spirit and truth thing, as we talked about last week, is not some kind of nebulous, kind of Gnostic. So really, as opposed to the Jews, like, we're all supposed to go out in the woods and, like, you know, just kind of sway back and forth and, like, get the inner light kind of warming up, you know, dance around fire. That's really what spirit and truth means, right? We don't go to church anymore. That's not what it means. Rather, what it means is, We worship out of the expression of this new eternal life that we have as a result of Christ. The Spirit that lives within us. And the truth, who is is the truth? Well, the truth has been shown to be embodied and preached by one person from the beginning, and that was Jesus Christ. If you wonder why Jesus makes such a showing around here, it's because of that. Jesus doesn't say, well, I... I could, you know, kind of give you some of that water. He'll say that here, but in other parts, he'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. See, Jesus both claims to distribute, but also be the thing that he gives. This Jesus is rather important. Well, we left the story last week with this woman, like I said, telling Jesus, showing her his, her, or showing him her kind of, Know how. I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus is saying, I am he. And the question is, where, where does it go? Where, how can it get any better than this? This is a great story. John could have just ended the book right there. How could the story get any better? Well, we'll see this week. We'll pick it up in John 4, 27. And we'll read to verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which for you did, you, you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, "It is no longer because of what you said that we believe." We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. The scandal is highlighted by the response of the disciples when they show up. Right? 
The disciples come on the scene. Up until now, we have Jesus talking to a woman. Here come the pack of disciples. If you remember, the disciples were in town buying food from the Samaritans. Another scandalous event, by the way. You don't buy food from Samaritans. It's dirty food. Religious people don't touch dirty food. Don't touch the dirty food. You might get infected. A woman might have touched it even. That would have been really bad. Don't touch the food. But here the disciples come. They've got food. They come trouncing back, right? You can only imagine, right? I wish, I so wish that we had like a video camera at certain times. And this would be one of the times, right? You come back and Jesus is sitting here talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. Like, they're so speechless they can't even say anything. They're just like, what's going on here? And there's some ideas from some commentators that really the disciples just trusted their Savior, trusted their rabbi, and really understood, right? Well, we're about to see that that's obviously not the case. And second of all, right, um, they don't trust Jesus ever, right? They are constantly not trusting Jesus. Yeah, they'll give a good sentence, and then they just kind of turn around. No, rather they just show up, and it's just, John adds this in, remember? John didn't have to write any of this. John could have wrote a lot more. So he's adding this in, and you just see the disciples kind of show up and be like, what? This doesn't seem to make sense. So the woman drops her, or leaves her jars and leaves. Leaves her jar and leaves. That's a good sentence. Leaves her jar and goes away. Right? And I would, I would think that the reason she does this is because she understands something. You see, I don't think it's because she's so scandalized by talking to Jesus. But rather, she leaves the water jar, whether that's just out of courtesy to Jesus and his disciples, or because she has a pressing mission, and I think that's really what it is. She's about to go do something. Disciples are left with Jesus, and the woman exits the scene. Notice where she goes. So the woman left her water jar in verse 28, and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Remember, this woman's been married five times. Now she's chilling with some dude that's not even her husband. She does not fit in, even within the outcast community of the Samaritans. As we talked last week, she's like the lowest of the low of the low. And she goes right to the people who she would not be getting along with very well. Imagine it. Imagine her kind of walking into the market and everybody going, oh, check it out. Here she comes, right? Yeah, she's messed up. And she comes out and she goes, come see a man, right? Come see, come see a guy who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Right? All of a sudden, everybody's ears are perking up. What? Did she say the... You mean the, the one we all went waiting for? That one? Notice that Jesus, we read last week, he doesn't, he doesn't tell her everything she ever did. Now, maybe, maybe he did, but it seems that this conversation was rather brief. It doesn't seem like John is just kind of summarizing this conversation. But... She tells these people, he told me all that I ever did. Which, kind of probably hyperbole, but notice how, how, what did he tell her? Oh yeah, you've been married five times with the guy you're with now. The center of her identity was her sin. The very center of who she was was all wrapped up in the fact that she was not nearly as good as the rest of the people. I wonder this morning, what defines you? What defines you? 
Is it the failures in your life? Is it the fact of the matter that you just didn't measure up quite as many times as you hoped to? Maybe you're not measuring up now. What defines you? I invite you this morning, come see a man who's the Savior of the world. Notice the success of the woman's testimony. Imagine you're sitting in the market, and the woman, right, who, she comes to this thing alone to draw water, it's in the middle of the day, not the best time, you don't ever come alone, she's coming alone, now she's coming into the market, right, and you're thinking, whoa, what's she, what's she saying? Notice the success, they don't blow, success, they don't blow her off like, oh, it's the crazy lady, right, yeah, okay, yeah, go see a guy, oh yeah, sure, have seen lots of those before, right, whatever. But something in her testimony makes these guys respond. This was no doubt quite an event, right? All right, well, hey, this maybe it's a circus or something. We've got to go check this guy out. I mean, if she's willing to come in and talk to all of us about this guy. Huh. And I think there's an application here for us as Christians. See, how many of you are convinced that your life is so jacked up that you couldn't possibly say anything to anybody? How many of you don't live the way you should live as a Christian at your job, right? You don't have to raise your hand. You'd feel awkward. But all of us should, right? We don't do what we should do, and we say that stupid thing, and we just, you know, whatever. We act like everybody else. And we think, ah, oh, no, I can't say anything, right? I remember one time I worked at a company. It doesn't matter what it was or where it was, but I remember, like, day three, right? Like, I did something really dumb, and it, well, that shocks most of you. But that is stupid, right? And here's the first thing I thought. Dang, now I can't tell anybody to Jesus. Anybody about Jesus, because my testimony is so wrong. I need to find another job. Right? That's the first thing I thought of, right? No repentance or anything. I just gotta get out of here. I gotta go do something else. But notice the woman. Messed up testimony, and look how she's used by God. Be encouraged this morning, Christian. Yes. You are not the best person that ever existed. In fact, you're not even close. However, God in human flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, decides to reveal himself to this woman to send him to the town of a bunch of messed up half-breeds in order to bring them back and see who this Jesus is. That woman! If Jesus can use this woman, what could he do with us? Well, now we have the disciples who give me great hope, just like the woman. Verse 31, Rabbi, eat. They've brought food, and they're being hospitable, right? The leader, right, sends them to get food. Now they have dutifully brought back the food. Here you go, eat some food. And Jesus responds, rather strange way, right? Uh, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Why does he do this? Why doesn't he just eat the food? As we talked last week, Jesus is tired, right? He's also thirsty. Yet Jesus uses all those things in a spiritual way, and he's probably hungry as well. He wouldn't have sent his disciples just to go get food to, you know, keep them occupied. But yet here he goes, no, no, hold on, I got food that he's just, it's, he's, it's out of his mind. He's not even thinking about eating right now. Why? Well, I think he's reflecting on what just happened. What just happened? The lady's gone, right? She's walked away. 
probably with a gleam in her eye. Why? Engrossed in that conversation, having just revealed himself as the savior of the world, the one that everybody had always waited for, revealing himself as that person to that woman. See, Jesus was sent on a mission. We've seen this from the beginning. He was a dead man walking from the beginning. It wasn't like one day it was like, oh, check it out, a cross, I'll go jump up on there. Right? Got to fulfill the prophecy. Right? From the very beginning, he goes, my hour hasn't come yet. Or the hour is both coming and already here. I must fulfill the will of my Father. I've got something to do. Jesus was on a mission. And he knows what the results of it will be. But the interesting thing is, in the book of John, this is where it begins to happen. This is where it starts. Remember, up until now, what's Jesus done? He's called a few disciples, right? He's baptized a few people, or his disciples have. The similar baptism of John is baptism unto repentance, preparing for the way of the Savior, right? But only here has he said, yeah, I'm the Messiah. And then has the woman leave and he's probably thinking about this conversation going here we go now it begins Jesus knowing what's going to happen doesn't take away from it from the excitement that he must have felt you ever bought a present for anybody you've never bought a present for anybody you should it's a good thing to do but have you ever bought a present for somebody, like knowing, right? I hate buying presents for my wife because I don't know if she'll like it, right? She's always like, I love it, whatever you give me. And I'm always like, yeah, I don't think that's true. I know I'm going to bomb one of these days, right? But even if I get her something, like, you know, I call, I call her sister. By the way, guys, if you don't know what to get, wife, call the sister. She'll tell you, fix you up. Like, I know that she wants this thing, Right? She's told me, or I, like, I remembered, which never happens, right? And I get the thing, and I, I give it to her, right? And it's all wrapped up, and she has no clue what it is, right? I know she's going to like it. But the anticipation is like, yeah, dude, when she opens this, it's going to be like, Hero Jeremy, for like five minutes, right? And then I'll do something to screw it up. But for those five minutes, man, it's going to be awesome. It doesn't take away from it. Here we have Jesus, right? He's just sent this woman. This woman's just left, and she knows she's going to go tell these people. These people are going to come and see me. Yes, here it goes. Here we go. The whole savior of the world thing, the whole redemption thing, here it begins with some Samaritans. Well, what did the disciples do? They missed the boat. Remember, these men have been with Jesus. They've heard Jesus. They've seen Jesus do miracles. We saw at the wedding at Cana that they saw the glory of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus. And he goes, listen, uh, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, who fed him? We, we went to town and got food for him. And well, who, did you give him some food? Who, who gave food? Maybe the lady, I don't know. So, I wonder, what would you have done if you were Jesus? Here's your disciples, right? The, the person who shouldn't be a disciple has already left to go be a disciple, the woman. Notice that the disciples go to town and come back, and there's no people coming to see Jesus. The scandalous woman goes, and all of a sudden we have people coming to see Jesus. The disciples aren't fully getting it yet. But I wonder, do you have grace for the people that don't get it yet? In this, in this church, first of all, right? Your brothers and sisters don't quite see it the way you see it. Or outside of this church, the people who call themselves Christians and don't see it the way you see it. 
How about for yourself? Man, I just wish I was better. Man, I just wish I could hear Jesus and be like, yeah, I know what he's talking about. Look how Jesus responds, treats these disciples. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, Jesus here is the very picture of Deuteronomy 8.3. Speaking of God, Moses tells the people, He humbled you and led you in hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, Jesus lives to do the will of the Father, as we've seen. To see Jesus is to see God. What would Jesus do is the same as to say, what would God do? We just look at Jesus and go, that's how it would, that's how it would happen. He so perfectly obeys and speaks the words of God. No one has ever done it as well, and no one can ever do it as well. Jesus is driven and given life by doing the will of the Father hearing his words and doing what he desires Jesus to do. Remember the context. Remember the context. He has just said this in reference to telling a Samaritan woman, I will give you the living water that bubbles up to eternal life forever. I'm the Messiah. And Jesus says, you want to know what the will is? The will of my Father I'm doing it. That's how I live and I will accomplish it. Imagine the disciples like, we just got you some food, dude. What are you talking about? He's in reference to this woman. This woman. Man, Jesus couldn't possibly love me. Oh, yeah? He started his entire redemptive plan in the book of John with a Samaritan woman. Imagine what he could do with us. This will be Jesus' food and work until the end. The night before his crucifixion in John 17, the high priestly prayer, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. In verse 4, Jesus obeyed his Father so much that he could say this the night before he died, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Make no doubt about it. Jesus accomplished the work he came to do. Hear that again. Jesus accomplished the work he came to do. He didn't fail. He didn't almost make it. He didn't try really hard and kind of make it, and one day will really make it. Jesus accomplished the work of the Father, beginning with the Samaritans. No man took Jesus' life from him, but he freely gave it up. Having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. Jesus' redeemed community, the church, is no accident. This right here, not an accident. Not like a, whoops, screw that up. Well, try something else. One day I'll come back and set it all right. This is the outworking of God's redemptive plan that He began when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Has it taken a weird shape? You better believe it. Jesus started His redemptive plan with a bunch of Samaritans. This is not what the disciples were expecting. This is not what the prophets were expecting. This is not what the Pharisees were expecting. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus will die. Because Jesus did not act the way that He was supposed to. Here we have Jesus in the midst of His ministry, beginning to see the fruits of His mission, the Samaritans. The cast-off half-breeds coming to know Him. And He declares to His disciples, 
in that moment, having seen that woman gone, speaking of food from his disciples, this is my mission, and it's being accomplished. Check it out. How great is this? verse 35, Jesus continues and he says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The the dawning of a new day, the shift, the shift in redemptive history is happening at this very moment. Remember the context. The woman has gone to town. The woman has said, come see a man. And they all go, okay, here we go. And they're walking towards Jesus now. Right? They still haven't entered the frame. They will enter the frame in a few minutes. However, Jesus says, Well, you say there's like four months left to the harvest, right? But lift up your eyes. Who do they see when they lift up their eyes? Who's coming towards them when they lift up their eyes? Samaritans. Wait. Hold on. What? The disciples, and not only the disciples, all of the Jews would have expected Jews. Lift up your eyes. Here they come, the dutiful Jews that had been you know, baptized, baptism of repentance. Here we go. Glory train. Let's go follow Jesus. Yet Jesus says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest, and here come the half-Jews, the almost-Jews, the most despised of the Jews, because they were just almost us. Close to us, but not us. These are not the people that are supposed to be coming. You know who else aren't the people that are supposed to be coming? People like you and me. <laughs> you see, as much as we'd like to be like Jesus in this story, and like, oh, we love hard-to-love people, the fact of the matter is that Jesus loved hard-to-love people, and you are hard-to-love people. Right? I'm hard-to-love people. I'm the Samaritan. You're the Samaritan. Verse 36, Jesus alludes to the section that we read this morning in Amos chapter 9. It says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Now many of us have grown up inside of suburban or urban society where we have no idea where food comes from or how it gets here. Just to let you know, right? You have the sower, which is the one that plants the seeds, and then the reaper, the one that actually takes the stuff down. Normally, those people don't party together, right? Because either one of them is excited because he's sowing, or the other one is excited because he's reaping, but it doesn't happen on the same day. It takes a long time. Yet Jesus here is talking about them rejoicing together. As we saw in Amos chapter 9, after a long set, and if you want to get weirded out, read Amos. If you want to see what God thinks of people's sin, read Amos. Because for nine chapters, Amos, a hick farmer, brings down the fire and tells God's people, you're done. And at the very end of the book, he will talk about God rebuilding from all these nations that surround him and says, Behold, the days are coming. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. Pictures a day when there is such abundance in the world that the sower is like coming right behind the reaper and the guy who's treading the grapes, well, he's getting overrun by the guy who's bringing more grapes. There's so much abundance happening. 
Jesus points out that it's starting to happen right now with the Samaritans. And notice that it's happening in a spiritual way. It's not happening in a physical way. It's not like the mountains are literally dripping wine, right? He says it in relation to this harvest beginning. And by the way, this harvest is continuing. He also points out that others have labored in sowing the seed. The seed always in the book of John is the good news of God, of what He will do and what He's promised to do. And that has happened in the person and work of Jesus. What He's saying here is, He's saying, look, others have sowed. You've entered into the harvest that you did not. You didn't sow these seeds. Who's He in reference to? It's got to be the Old Testament prophets. Leading up to John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus now looks at his disciples while the Samaritans are coming and going, Listen, the fields are white for the harvest. I'm sending you out to reap the harvest, but you didn't even sow the seeds. Those were sown, rather, by the Old Testament prophets and by John the Baptist. Jesus is, in essence, saying that the age to harvest is exploding as a result of the sowing that's been done. Remember, Jesus shows up only after hundreds of years of silence from God. But don't think that there weren't any prophets working, telling people, listen, man, weren't good people teaching the Bible saying, get ready for it. Remember that there was hundreds of years before that where God said, this is going down, you will be broken apart, you will be completely decimated for your sin, but I will not completely destroy you. And Jesus says, check it out. The reaping has begun. We're starting to see the fruit. The rejoicing here of the sower and reaper at the same time stems from the fact that everyone had done their job. The fruit of eternal life is being harvested because some sowed and some reap. Not everybody does everything. People have their own unique jobs. And I ask us this morning, while uniquely special at the moment of Jesus... Are we seeing John 4 still true today? And I would say yes. Now, I think that in the New Testament, everything exploded because everybody was absolutely waiting for this guy. This is a very special work, right? Paul kind of stands up, and in one day, 3,000 people come to Jesus, right? And we think, man, why doesn't that happen today? Well, guess what? Not all of us are Jews. We're not preaching to Jews who have been waiting for a Messiah who just left. However... That work of reaping is continuing till today. Paul will put it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, we all want to be heroes. We all want to be the reapers, right? We all want to be the ones that say, Look at me! I've led thousands to Jesus! I want to be that guy. And while in that essence, really, I'm looking for my own glory, right? Saying it that way and feeling it that way, I do honestly want to see lots of people in West Nashville come to Jesus. Not because I'm great, not because you're great, not because it's a great place to be, 
but because they see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I want that to happen. I really, really do. But remember, some must sow seeds. I ask you, are you personally willing and are you willing as a member of this church to sow and sow and sow and never see any increase? Are you willing to remain, however many we are, until the day that we all die and go away from here? Do you, do you think that's going to happen, Jeremy? I have no clue. Do you hope that happens, Jeremy? I hope not. See, my namesake, Jeremiah, right? And by the way, my name is Jeremy, not Jeremiah. But my namesake had the worst job, I think, in the entire Bible. Profit-wise. Here you go. From the very outset, I'm going to let you know, Jeremiah. You're going to struggle. You're going to tell everybody this stuff, and nobody's going to listen. So go at it. We're going to read it. And Jeremiah cries for a good reason. He's always crying, right? That's why him and I might not get along. He's always crying. But he's always crying because he knows my people aren't going to hear it. But you know what? We will see in Jeremiah those seeds being planted, those seeds being sown. So that one day, Jews. So that one day, Samaritans. So that one day, Africans. Asians, Americans, would come to know Jesus. Are we willing to sow? Carson also, D.A. Carson, his commentary, also talks about the harvester, the reaper. And he says this, No Christian harvester can ever forget that, number one, success in reaping normally depends on the work of those who have gone before. And number two, that in those rare instances where sowing and reaping seem to go hand in hand, it is but a foretaste of the eschatological blessing yet to come. That's a big word, but it's basically the foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. So even when we seem to just preach the gospel, somebody's like, I never heard that before. I want that Jesus. We don't stand up and go, champion, putting it on my blog. It's going to be awesome. Everybody's going to know, I both sowed and reaped. Check me out. But rather we go, man, that was great, but it still is nothing compared to what is about to come. When Jesus comes back. I pray that God would make us a faithful people. A people faithful to proclaim His glorious truths to all people. Remembering that our labors are a reflection of a homeless, semi-popular Jewish man that called people that weren't supposed to come. That continues to call people that don't look like the kind of people that should be coming to know God. Our work is merely a continuation of His work that began right here. Verse 39. Samaritans enter the picture again. They come initially because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And you can tell that this testimony must have been pretty powerful because they ask a Jewish rabbi to stay with them for two days. This is not something that would usually happen. They must have thought, man, maybe this guy is the Christ. Now remember, the, the Samaritans were waiting for this guy, Taheb, right? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it sounds right, so I'm going to roll with it. And this guy was going to be the ultimate prophet, the ultimate guy who was going to explain God to us. 
You ever wonder when you read stuff like that? They invited Jesus to stay with him for two days. And he did. What on earth was Jesus talking about? You wonder? What was he talking about? Two days. No mention of what he does. I think that what Jesus did, I'm fairly confident, is that he went through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Remember that the Samaritans did not hold all the Old Testament, just those first five books. And I think he went through those first five books and said, oh yeah, you know that story? Yeah, that points to me. Oh, oh, that story over there? Remember that story? Yeah, that points to me. Here's how. And that story? Yeah, that's me. Oh, the promised teacher that you were hoping for? Yeah, that's me. He will do this on a constant basis. You read the scriptures thinking that in them you have life, it's in me that comes life. Jesus will talk to his disciples and explain from Moses and the prophets how he is the ultimate fulfillment of everything. We don't really know exactly what he said, but whatever he said must have been pretty powerful. For their testimony is pretty priceless. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Don't think that they're putting her down. Notice that she talked to them, and now they're talking back to her. They've seen some validity in what she's had to say. They're now conversing with the dirty Samaritan woman. And what they say is, Look, initially we believed. We came because you said it. And now we see that you're telling the truth. We believe in a much bigger way because we've heard him ourselves. And we believe, they say, they say, that he is the savior of the world. Who better would understand that than a bunch of Samaritans? Looked down upon by the Jews for being almost Jews. For being from us, just not of us. Just not like us. Just not exactly the right way. And yet they see this Jesus and they say, yes. That's like me. That man can save me. If he can save people like them, what can he do for us? So I ask you, do you see Jesus this morning? Jesus came to proclaim the good news of who he is and what he would do to people like us. And people much different than us. Do not harden your hearts this morning, but turn to the Savior. My prayer for those of us to say, Yes, I believe him. Yes, Savior of the world, just like me. I'm in that team. I pray that this morning we would again marvel in his accomplished work and as a result go out into the harvest and share the good news of who this Jesus is. Let's pray. God, we thank you that. Your Son came for people like us. God, we thank You that this Messiah, this Christ, came in a way that few expected and saw people like the Samaritans and proclaimed to His disciples and proclaims to us this morning that His redemptive purposes would be accomplished and they would be accomplished by reaching people like the Samaritans. 
Give us faith to follow Jesus. Give us boldness to proclaim a message for all peoples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?